Welcome and thank you for joining us today on Friend of God, brought to you by Friendship Baptist Church in Sturges, Mississippi. It is our goal to take the Word of God to as many people as possible. We pray that you not only enjoy today's message, but more importantly, we hope and pray that it changes your heart and moves all of us to life change and action. God bless and enjoy. All right, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning, Hebrews chapter 12. And as Trevor's already shared with you, we're talking about Jesus being our example. How many of you have people that you look up to or have wanted to emulate in life? We all have people, whether they're famous athletes, whether they're, they're our parents or grandparents or people that have taught us a trade, taught us ability, taught us how to cook, taught us how to do certain things. Maybe they're people that we wanted to have their athletic ability, whatever it was. But there's so many things and so many people that we can keep our eyes on when we ought to just keep them firmly fixed on Jesus Christ in our lives. So how easy do you find it to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? How easy do you find it in a world full of distractions to keep firmly focused on Him? See, I would argue that we're a people that are easily distracted. Would you agree with that? We're a people that's easily distracted, right? Chances are many of you have a cell phone device in here today. Easily distracted. How many of you have checked it at least once since you've been in here? Yeah? Some of you, some of you are honest. Some of you are looking around. So it's okay. But um, I believe we see people distracted a lot of times when we're riding down the road, right? When we're driving, we see people looking at anything but the road. Anybody ever seen that? Doesn't take long to drive to see people looking anywhere but the road. Imagine that in our own lives. There are people like you and me that look anywhere but where they ought to be. And they keep their eyes on anything but Him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. So that says, let us get every distraction, everything that takes us away from it, everything that gets us away, and let us do what He's called us to do. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are to look to Him and Him alone. We are to understand that when the world is difficult and hard and we're dealing with temptations and divisions and upsets and everything seems to be not going our direction or maybe we're dealing with setbacks or hang-ups or hurts and all these other things that we keep our eyes fixed on Him. See, I believe this is because Jesus understands what we face every day. See, there's where the difference is in anything else. Jesus was divine, but he was also human, right? So he knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to go through the range of emotions, right? He knew what it was like to lose someone. He knew what it was like to have a group of people that was in front of him that were hungry. He even knew what it was like to be tempted. 
he was tempted and he was tried and the devil tried to come at him. And what did he combat that with? Scriptures, right? You and I have the same scripture afforded before us in God's holy word. So we can fight in that way. But he understands that. He calmed the storm for the disciples. He raised Lazarus. He asked John, and I love that part from the cross, John, take care of my mom, right? So he knows what it's like to feel like everything's closing in, but, but he, he took out time to go pray. He found his strength from something greater than the moment. Because we can sometimes get wrapped up in the moment, right? We can sometimes get wrapped up in the situation. We can sometimes get wrapped up in what we're going through that we fail to see. In that narrowing moment, we fail to see the broader picture of what God's trying to do here. But we also know what Jesus did for us and what He laid down for us. And we know even in those times, we are loved. It says in verse 3 and 4, it continues here, it says, For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How many of you... Get tired at times, right? Get exhausted, run down, burning at both ends, right? You're doing so many things and then it seems like more just piles on you. More worry, more temptation, more difficulty, more debt. All these things seem like more. But he said, lean on Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. See, I think a lot of times you and I look at the Lord and we look at difficult times and we don't often understand God's growth in those difficult times. The Bible calls it discipline, right? Discipline continues to mold and shape us for His good. And what I've learned to do, and I hope that you learn to do, is to find the lessons in the consequences, and even in the time of testing. To find the lessons, the things that we're supposed to learn through the difficult moments, the things that we're supposed to learn when we're tested and tried, the things that we're supposed to learn by not doing what is right, and God's working things together to make us more like Him. So it says, in your blood striving against sin, verse 5 says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. So if the Lord loves you, He's going to teach you, Right? If the Lord loves you, He's not going to leave you in the sin that you're in. If the Lord loves you, it's not like you're not going to deal with temptations and difficulties and things. He loves you too much to leave you like you are, right? He loves you too much to let you continue to go down that road. He loves you too much to allow for temptation and addiction to continue to take on your life. He loves you too much to allow for you to break apart your relationships. He loves you too much to not tell you all of these things. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate sons, illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not 
much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and lived. How many of you grew up in a house that disciplines? Uh, we called it whooping. I don't know what version you had in your house. You might have had uh, the switch, the fly swatter, the wooden spoon, uh, the belt, the hand, whatever it was in your house that let you know real quickly what you did wasn't right and there are consequences for such actions. The Lord lets us know in our lives what's not right and there's consequences to our actions. But in a right home, a loving father wants what's best for you. So they're trying to get you to the point where you can make that decision for yourself. Where you can do the right thing and live according to a way outside of what your own thoughts bring to you. And it says this, For they disciplined us for a short time, seeing best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in what? His holiness. So God's discipline leads us to be more like Him. So in other words, when we go through the difficult moments or we make bad decisions or when we go through trials and we go through all these times which are hard to us and we say we don't want to go through them, they're leading us to be more holy. They're shaking all the stuff that shouldn't be out of us out, right? So that we can be more like Him. It says all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So oftentimes, we shy away from the Lord's reproof. But I'm telling you, we need to admit our shame and shortcomings. We need to admit our temptations and sins. We need to come to Him and say, God, I can't, God. I'm having trouble, God. I'm struggling, God. I can't get past this guy. You're the only answer. And he promises us not to take away the consequences because that's how we learn. But he promises to love us through them. And a good parent loves us through those difficulties. So how can you and I keep on that right path? You know, there was a time where I ran a race. And part of that race in the last miles you get wobbly-legged. Anybody understand what I'm saying? If you've ever been out or you've ever exerted yourself beyond the point which you're trained for, because any kind of race, like a half marathon, any kind of race you train for, right? But what happens when you get toward the end of that race? Everything locks up from your waist down. And you start walking like, you know, you can't hardly move, but you've got to run still. So you've got to think back to your training you've got to trust in the sure steps that you're following in and you've got to push harder than you ever have before because you know that the finish line is coming you don't really know where it's going to come <laughs> but you know that it's coming and you got to push forward in that way God calls us to run a race that we don't know what's coming and we might feel fatigued and wobbly-legged and everything else as we run this race in life. But God has a finish line coming for all of us who believe in Him. 
Hebrews 12, 12 says this, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight the path for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification which no one will see the Lord. See it to the, the, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up or causes trouble, and by it many may be defiled." That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though sought for it with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that can be touched and to the blazing fire and to darkness and to gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of the trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that it was... Those who were heard begged that no farther would be spoken to them. For they could not bear that command. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. So it matters where we place our confidence, doesn't it? Confidence. We look back to 2 Kings 6 and it talks about confidence. It says it talks about the story of a supportive story in 2 Kings. It says Samaria where Elisha and his servant lived was unexpectedly surrounded by an enemy. Ben-Hadad besieged the city by night. And when the servants of the prophet saw the army around the city the following morning, he exclaimed this. He said, "Alas, my master, what shall we do?" Elisha answered this. And this is something that even you can use in the battles that you are going up against. He said this, Fear not, for those who are, who are with us are more than those who are with them. Y'all, we have more on our side than just what we can see. A heavenly army stands with the Lord. Y'all, we don't fight by ourselves. And we look at what we can see in front of us. And we might say, well, I see this in front of me, right? I see a cancer diagnosis. I see a temptation. I see an addiction. I see a divorce. I see a hardship. I see a difficulty. I see a time. I lost my job. I lost all kinds of things. We see all of these things, right? We need to be fixed on the Lord in front of us and have confidence when nothing else is worthy of confidence. So why do we shy away from doing the hard things, do you think? Why do you and I shy away from the hard stuff? We run to the good stuff, right? But we shy away from the hard stuff. And why is that? If the hard stuff makes me more like Jesus, then I want to run to the hard stuff. If I want to deal with life head on, I've got to deal with life by running with the Lord. It says this, verse 21. It says, And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have not come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriad of angels, to the general assembly, and to the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, the righteous, made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Yo, why do we shy away from what the Lord is trying to do? Sometimes we go, Lord tells us to do something, and we're like, I can't. 
And we start listing all of these reasons. Anybody ever made excuses for why you can't? But the Lord says like this. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do in you. He tells us don't rely on what you can do. Look at what I can do in you. And what the Lord can do is greater than me and you, right? Because by myself, I'm worthless, right? But in Christ, all things are possible. In Christ, He can take even the most treacherous life, even the most arduous battle, He can take everything and do it for His good, can He? So we don't need to reject what the Lord is trying to say and do. Understand the words of Scripture are not optional. Amen? How many of you have read Scripture and you're like, I don't know, not sure. Uh, you know, the words of Scripture are not optional in our lives. Hebrews 12, 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less we will escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven. And His voice shook the earth then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Y'all, we live in a shakable world. We live in a world that ever changes. Some days we don't even know what's going on in this world because it's so bad. And we turn on every kind of outlet, every kind of news channel, and every kind of thing, and we get frightful, and we worry, and we talk about how difficult it is instead of saying, this difficulty, let me show you my God. This hardship, let me show you my God. This temptation, let me show you my God. This difficulty I'm dealing with, what I'm seeing with my eyes and the, the world around me can be shaken. But God is not shakable. Let's look at this, uh, this shakable world. It says this in verse 27, this expression yet once more denotes the removing, removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So we serve an unshakable God. Hebrews 12, 28 says this, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, I want you to understand that. I want you to underline that. Cannot be shaken. When everything else is all up and down, He does not move. He is there. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I think sometimes we forget just how mighty God is. We see our problem, we see our difficulty, we see our hardship, we see a job loss, we see a family breakdown, we see all of that, but we don't see, and we don't always remember, that God is stronger than that. That He is mightier than that. That He has wisdom for that. That He can lead even you and I today towards that. So we got to remind ourselves to be thankful as that passage says. The example I found this week in this illustration, it says, You have heard, perhaps, of a Puritan who met his son, each one of them traveling some 10 or 12 miles to meet each other. The son said to the father, Father, I'm thankful to God for a very remarkable providence that I have had on my journey here. My horse has stumbled three times with me, and yet I'm unhurt. 
The Puritan replied, My dear son, I have to thank God for an equally remarkable providence on my way to you, for my horse did not stumble once all the way. If we happen to be in an incident by railway, we feel so grateful our limbs are not broken, but should we not be thankful when there is no accident? Is not that the better thing of the two? If you were to fall into poverty and someone were to restore you to your former position in trade, you would be very grateful. Should you not be grateful that you now have not fallen into poverty? Bless God for His unknown benefits. Extol Him for His favors that you do not see. Always giving thankfulness to God for all things. What if today we were just thankful for everything? What if today we were just thankful? What if we woke up every morning and we thanked God for everything? And we started thanking Him over and over again. And we promised and covenanted with God that we were going to be thankful no matter if it was good or bad day ahead. Because you and I cannot control whether we're going to have a good or bad day, right? We can't control that. We can't manifest that in our mind as some people tell us to do. Good and bad is going to come, but God is still the same. So what if we were thankful for everything? Secondly, we all struggle and fall, but the Lord understands. See, Jesus knew what it was like to struggle with this life. In the good and the bad, why don't we go to Him who is able? J. Wilbert Chapman said this, The rule that governs my life is this, Anything that dims my vision for Christ, or takes away my taste for Bible study, or cramps my prayer life, or makes Christian work difficult, is wrong for me, and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. We've got to choose to follow Jesus. We're not just going to stumble into it. We've got to choose to follow Jesus. We've got to also remember, thirdly, that godly discipline is a part of our spiritual growth and sanctification. In, we, in that, we must admit our wrongdoings and sin. We must deal with the consequences of those things and allow God to restore. We must vow to never go there again into that sin area. And God will equip us with the ability to overcome and sin no more in that area. We must ask and seek Him daily. How many of you seek Him daily? We need to seek Him every moment of every day, right? Good and bad, seek Him every day. And fourthly, we live in an ever-changing world with differing perspectives on morals and values and beliefs. But we must remember this. We have a God who never, ever changes. When everything else changes in this world and you cannot put stock in anything else, His expectations and promises remain the same. He is not shaken and gives us the ability to remain strong and to persevere in the difficult moments. What have you compromised on in your life that you need to seek forgiveness for this morning? Would you believe me if I told you that God was willing to forgive you and I. But we must be willing to come to Him. Admit our sin and know that He forgives. The greater measure is that He remembers our sin no more. 
Isn't that amazing? You and I, we remember a lot of stuff we wish we would have done better. But God takes that, that coming to Him, and He forgives us and forgets it. It's, it's like it's not there anymore because His love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? His love is greater than our greatest sin. And He is more than able. So on, on this day, I want to ask you, who's your example? Who do you follow in life? What have you been pursuing in life? Is it Jesus? Jesus is greater than anything and everything we faced. And maybe some of you are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today you've bitten into the world and its offerings or sin and its offerings or the trappings of temptation and sin and you feel like there's no way out. Jesus made a way. He died for me and you. And this is not something we just say as Christian believers, but He died a horrible death, crucifixion on a cross. But the remarkable thing is this, and this is what I want you to understand about sin. He didn't stay in the grave. Neither do you have to stay dead to your sin. You can come to Jesus and be forgiven, but it requires that you come. You admit openly that He is Lord and Savior. And you call on His name for forgiveness. And you live a life different than you ever had before. And that's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? Others who are going to be there to stand with us in the good and the bad. Those that are going to be there to help us. Because when you become a believer for the first time, it's not like you can go somewhere and download how to live right, right? Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, you're a believer now. Good luck. That's why we need one another, don't we? So I promise you this, that if you're willing to believe and trust in Jesus, there will be men and women that will come alongside of you that will hold you up in the good and the bad. That's why we need the house of God. That's why we need one another. But I'm going to invite you as I stand, as I pray this morning, to evaluate where you are. The altar itself is always open. God's always waiting. And maybe you have a thousand and one excuses. Just come to Him. For the Lord understands our sin. And He is more than able to save you today. Father God, I just thank You for the many chances that You give each and every one of us. Father God, I thank You for the opportunity to call on Your name even today. For the many of us, maybe we have run for so long and given into temptation for so long, and done so many things for so long, that, Father, we don't even see a way out. Father God, You are that bridge over the canyon of sin that we need so desperately. God, You give us hope and love and mercy we don't deserve. And, Father God, You provided a way from our sin in our lives, meaning that we don't have to stay the way we are. We can be more like You, we can be righteous like You if we're willing to trust and believe in You. Father, I've seen You take the life that is beaten and bruised and dirty and broken and do something miraculous with it, God. So I pray for those this morning that feel like they're less than, that God, You remind them that they are loved and cherished and treasured more than anything else. Father God, our sin does not have to be our story. But our redemption is our story of you. So God, I pray this morning, 
if there are many that are shackled in their sin, God, that you give them the way and the courage to respond to your calling today. For many of us, God, I pray this morning serves as a reminder of just how strong and how mighty you are, Father. That you can give us the ability to overcome all things for your glory and for your namesake. Father God, you are a mighty God. As the scripture said, you are a roaring fire. So God, I pray in your might and your power, God, you release us from the things which bind us so easily and help us to walk in that newness of life with you. Father God, whatever we're being led to this morning, whether it's to be a part of friendship or whatever it is, God, I pray that you call us even now. And it's in your name that we yield. Amen. Thank you for joining the Friendship Family today. Your time is your most valuable commodity. And we are enormously grateful that you chose to share some of it with us. If you would like to know more about Friendship Baptist Church, please visit our website, friendshipsturges.com, or our Facebook page. Both links can be found in the show notes below. Although we would greatly appreciate you leaving this podcast a rating or review, we would be eternally grateful if you would be willing to share it with someone else. We pray you have a God-filled day, and please remember, love God, love people, and reach the world.